Get your Bible, your phone, your iPad, get God's Word. We are going to be in 1 John this morning. In fact, we start a new series this morning in 1 John. If you remember our theme for the year, and, and Matt asked us at family camp, it was a little discouraging because we, we kind of struggled with our, our theme for 2021. 20, now I'm struggling. Love first. Love first. In, in 2020, God stirred in, in, in the shepherds, the elders, that when we were planning 2020, we, we, we came to the, this, this conclusion that we need to spend a year putting down deep roots for our faith because we want to raise up passionate followers. I want to be a passionate disciple of Jesus Christ, and here's how I want you to be able to measure that I am passionately following Jesus, that I live by faith, that I am known by love, and my life is a voice of hope. Have you seen those three words in your Bibles? They're often grouped together, are they not? In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, as he describes what love is, then at the bottom he says, these three remain, but the greatest of these is love. Why is that? Because they're, right now, in this life, I don't live by sight, I live by faith. And... In a little while, we're going to come to the Lord's table, and we're going to be reminded that when we, when we take the Lord's table, we proclaim his death until he comes. So right now, I live by faith with hope that God is exactly who he says he is and that he keeps his promises. If he's made a promise, I can count on him keeping it. Can you affirm that? If you can, say it out loud. Amen. I, yes. Amen. And so right now, I live by faith. I have hope, I have a blessed hope, the Bible calls it, and I'm called to love God more than anything else and then to love my neighbor as myself. These three remain, faith, love, and hope. Why is love the greatest of these? Because there's coming a moment, and I thought about this last night, we had the, the service for Nita, and I was sitting on the couch, and we were watching TV, Becky, and I don't remember what we were watching, but I remember I just had this overwhelming moment where it's like faith and hope are no longer necessary for Nita. Because she sees him face to face. There's no more, I'm following Jesus by faith. There he is. And I'm here. And, and the hope that I had that if, I, if he goes away and prepares a place for me and he'll come back, one day I'm going to be with him, whatever that, those details look like. The promise is I'm preparing a place for you. And Nita, it's going to be just for you. I know you, I love you, and it'll be your place to be with me forever in eternity, that hope is now realized by her. So faith and hope are a part of our experience, a part of really his command to us as we live as his disciples on this earth. But there's one day when those two get laid down and the one thing that remains throughout all of eternity is what? It's love. God is love. He told the Israelites in Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus would tell us that to that young man, he, uh, it would be recorded for us that he told that young man, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Remember that conversation? And the law and all the rules, and Jesus said they're all, they're all consumed, they're all fulfilled in this. The greatest is in fact this, you love the Lord your God. And then he adds the second that was always there in Leviticus. He was the first to really put them both together you love your neighbor as yourself. It became known as the law of Christ to the New Testament authors. We see it showing up in their writings. The law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? It's to love God and love your neighbor. Paul said, faith, 
love and hope remain, but the greatest of these is love because the one eternal aspect of our relationship with God is love. For God so loved the world that he gave. Would you agree with me that when, when God created the heavens and the earth and he created Adam and Eve, it was an act of love. It wasn't an act of necessity. It wasn't an act of need. It wasn't an act of desperation. It wasn't an act of, well, I need to do something. So let, It was an act of love. And he walked in the cool of the morning with his creation. And God loved his creation. He said it's good, man and woman and the, crea- the animals, the creation that he put us in. See, the one eternal quality of God and of our relationship with him from the moment that we came into being, our conception. Do you remember Psalm 139? And David talking about how God put me in my mother's womb and, and he, he, he knew every hair, he knew all, every bone, he knew, all, he knew all this. And then he says, he knew every day of my life what it would be before I was born. Is that love? That is love. That's the ultimate expression of love. Isn't it? That God know, knew you before you were, came into being. He, he gave you a soul in your mother's womb. And he knew every act that you would do. He knew every word that you would say. He knew every attitude that you would have. And yet he created you and brought you into being, knowing all that about you. Is that not love? Well, I can say it's love, because I know me. And he created me in my mother's womb, and he brought me into existence. He gave me an identity, a soul, and he created me as an eternal being. This body is temporary, but the real me is eternal. And he knew everything about me, and he said, I want Kurt to come into existence. Why? Because I'm so handsome? Let it, let it sink in, the laughter will grow. Okay. Because I'm so smart, because I'm so talented, because I'm so gifted, because I'm so, you fill in the blank? No, because he loves me. The greatest of these is love. And as we apply this right now in 2021, so in 2020, let's grow deep roots with faith. And then in 2021, let's zoom in on love. And in 2022, we're going to zoom in on hope and what that looks like. You think that'll be timely? I think it will be. But in 2021, this idea of love first, understand, I need to understand what love is, and then my response, before I say anything, before I do anything, even when the attitude is forming in my brain. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? This morning I had a bunch of grandkids here, and they were being crazy grandkids, and it was awesome, it was amazing. But there were a few moments where I just, this attitude was forming in my head, and words begin to take shape. And attitude and behavior, love first, Kurt. Love first. What would love do? What would love look like in this moment? We're going to be faced with that momentarily, every moment in our day. You faced it already this morning, didn't you? You're going to face it as you're sitting there. Your wife's going to ask you a question in an inopportune moment, and love first, love first. And he did, he did. Love first. First, And so that's why we're coming to 1 John this morning. We, we looked at the liberty of love, the liberty to love in the book of Galatians. And later in the year, we're going to look at the one another statements. We're going to walk through the New Testament. And we're going to take those, which shows up a lot, doesn't it? Blank one another. Forgive one another. Love one another. What does it look like to live out love first in a one another relationship? And we're going to walk through that. But for the next couple of months, we're going to be looking at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Why 
1 John, because John is known as the apostle whom Jesus loved. In fact, in that first century, he had that nickname, that reputation. This is the one Jesus loved. This is the apostle of love. Now, 1 John is interesting, and I'll tell you why, at least one of the reasons, is because there's only two books in the, in the, in the epistles, the letters that don't start with either a name or a title. Book of Hebrews, and we're still debating who wrote Hebrews. It's not there. Do you know the other book? 1 John. Second and third John will have a title. They'll have a title of, of who's writing it. Often, most often there's a name, Paul and Timothy or whoever. It's just Hebrews and 1 John. And it's interesting to me because in, in the first century, when you study the, the scholars, it was clear. Everybody believed in the first century that John wrote this letter. There wasn't a question of that. But he doesn't put his name and he doesn't put a, a title. Instead, what he does is he just jumps in. He just jumps in. Now, our last study in the book of Galatians, we saw that Paul just jumped right in and there wasn't that typical, hey, how you doing, glad, thankful for you, great, now I got some things to say. He didn't do that, but he did say, hey, this is the apostle Paul, and then he jumped in. John doesn't even do that. He doesn't give us his name, he doesn't give us his title, he just jumps in. He, he, he has got a, a mission, he has got a purpose, and I, I want us to capture that this morning, and by, to do that, I want you to, to hear these little verses, snippets throughout this letter that John wrote, what we know as First John. There's this reoccurring phrase, and I believe this is really John's intensity, his passion, his purpose. In, in chapter 2, verse 3, see if you capture this phrase as I'm reading them. This is how we are sure that we have come to know him by keeping his commandments. Chapter 2, verse 5. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk as he walked. Chapter 3, verse 16, this is how we have come to know love. He, Jesus, laid down his life for us. Chapter 3, verse 19, this is how we will know we belong to the truth and will convince our conscience in his presence. Chapter 4, verse 13, this is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us assurance from his spirit. Chapter 5, verse 2, this is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. Did you capture the phrase? So this is the title for our series, for 1 John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. This is how we know. So I want to pose two questions this morning, and, and hopefully God's word here in our text, we're just looking at the first four verses, will answer, begin to answer these two questions for us. And, and I, I, I want to be clear I want to throw out these two questions. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what they are. What do we know, and how do we know it? What do we know? What am I confident? What am I certain? What am I willing to build my life on? What truths do I know? I know without, not that I may never doubt it, but I am confident that this is true. If I take a can of gasoline, and I had to do this at camp, I had to fill my generator, and no matter how careful you are in filling things with a funnel or whatever, what always happens? It spills. it spills, yes. And there's this really hot exhaust pipe on the side of the generator. So that's what I'm thinking of the whole time, as, as well as the smell, that strong, you know. And we're probably pretty much divided. My family is those who love the smell of gasoline and those who don't, okay? I'm somewhere in the middle. So I'm doing that, and what I know is that if I pulled out that little lighter that I found out as a new camper that you need to buy in bulk, and so I got those all over my trailer and my pocket. All, you know what we're talking about, those little things you flick and the flame comes out? 
I know that if I took that little lighter and I stuck it in the, the top of the gas can, right by the top, and I lit it, I'm pretty confident something's going to happen. So I can put that on my list. What do I know? I know that gas and fire do what? Okay. Law of gravity. Do we know this? We do. If you're under 18, you probably don't, right? You're still jumping out of trees, doing things, because I'm going to defy the law of gravity. But for most of us, the broken bones, the bruises, the visits to ER have taught us that I can know for certainty the law of gravity. If I hang upside down in a tree with my dad's tools wrapped around my waist like I'm a mountain climber and the rope comes undone, sound like I'm making this up or I'm telling you an actual story, that I will fall and I will get hurt. So what do we know? That's the first question. And, and I want to be clear, this is just the beginning. I want to encourage us to be, as we meet in our, our small groups this week, the home groups, and as we walk through our daily devotions this week, and as we move through 1 John, I want these questions to keep coming back into our mind. I literally want us to make a list. However you do that, on your phone, on a piece of, this stuff is called paper, you know, write down a piece of paper with a pen, whatever it is that you do, begin to make a list. What do I know with confidence is true? The second question is, is really where John is going to, I think pull us in because he cares about the first question, but he also, here's, here's his passion, his agenda, is how do we know what we know? How do we know something's true? Well, the guy up front behind the little teaching stand said it, so it must be true. Who said no? Okay, thank you. She's right, right? I heard it on TV. I saw it on TV. I heard it on the radio. Now, there, it may be true, right? Don't throw those sources under the bus completely. Oh, it was on Facebook. So if it was on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or MySpace. Anybody remember that? <laughs> you do. Or a person of authority told me. Yeah, consider it carefully. But you see where I'm going? It's not just important that we know what we believe. But we also need to be confident in the source, how it is that we know this to be true. And that's really John's heart. He just, he wants to jump right in. And, and if you join me there in 1 John um, chapter 1, verse 1, he says this. He says, that which, again, see, no introduction, no nothing. He just jumps in. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, literally means a face-to-face -face encounter, and our hands have touched this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Do, do you see what he's saying? The things that we discovered, our experiences, we, we listened, and was, was John with Jesus? He was with Jesus, wasn't he? He was called early on, one of the fishermen. What we heard, we heard him say, what we, see, what we have seen, what we saw him do, what we understood with our eyes, which we've looked at, we've observed, we've encountered, and then we've touched, we were there. Now, you can feel in here what you want. For me, I, I, I immediately thought of, I read John, I pictured John reaching out and touching the skin of the man with leprosy. Seeing that man come and, and the way his body was disfigured and he saw his, his body healed because I think, I'm, I think that's what I would do. You know, as Jesus was walking away and nobody was watching, I think I would walk over and just, can I touch your arm? Oh my goodness. And what about in the upper room when Jesus appeared and he said, touch my hands, T touch my side. 
Or what about in John 13 when Jesus is doing that, that last meal, that Passover meal, and the disciples are debating who it is that's going to betray him. And do you remember Peter saying to John, you ask him why? Because John was leaning on Jesus' shoulder, his chest. He was affectionately just laying there with his head literally on the body of Jesus. This is the guy that's saying, hey, we saw, we heard, we observed, we were there, we have touched. All that we discovered from that, this is what we proclaim, what we make known to you concerning the word of life, concerning the, 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 the living word. Scholars believe this phrase to be a phrase for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you remember, who was the one disciple that was at the foot of the cross? It was John. Remember Jesus? John, this is your mom now. Mom, this is your son. John was there. He saw it. He experienced it. He heard the words of Jesus. He saw the blood. He saw the pain and the suffering. He says, I'm telling you, I was there. We, meaning the disciples, we saw it. We experienced it. We touched it. And now we're proclaiming to you the gospel. What is the gospel, John? The gospel is, I was there at the foot of the cross, and I saw my creator, I saw my savior, my master, being crucified. And I saw him give up his life. And they took him down. And they took his body. They wrapped it, and they put it in a tomb. And I was one of the first there at the, at the empty tomb when he was no more. And I was there when he appeared to us in the upper room. And he was alive. That's the word of life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And he says, I'm telling you, here's what I know, the word of life, but here's how I know it. If I can summarize it, how did John know this? Because he knew Jesus. He knew him. He had seen him. He would heard him. He had touched him. And then in verse 2, he kind of, writers do this sometimes. It's called a parenthetical thought. He, it's like, in my mind, I picture him daydreaming. In this moment, as he's writing, the Holy Spirit's leading, and he writes verse 1. What we know is verse 1. Then he says, the life appeared. The life appeared. I remember when I got called, I was with my brother, and I was at the boat. Excuse me. And we were mending our nets, and our dad was there. And, and this, this, this rabbi, this guy from Nazareth said, hey, follow me. And we left our nets and we followed him. And as we followed him, it became clear that this was the Messiah. This was the one that we were waiting for. The anointed one that our scriptures, the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, had promised would come. And he appeared. God, in human form, he appeared. And we've seen it. And I testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, his encounter with him. And then in verse three, he comes back to his agenda. He has this thought that he just shared. In verse three, so we proclaim. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. You may also know what we know and know how you know the way that we know it. You may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. If I could summarize his purpose, I would say it like this, and, and I don't think this is, a, I gave this to you for the screen, so you might want to write this down if it makes sense to you. His purpose for this letter is gospel clarity and gospel security. 
Gospel clarity. What is the gospel? What do we know to be true? And how do I know it's true? Security. See, the reality is, if I claim to know Jesus and I claim to know the gospel and I'm going to build my life on it, if I'm going to make disciples, that means I engage. That means I go and I make disciples of all nations, my neighbors, my coworkers. Hopefully, in my case, my coworkers know Jesus, but I'm working on it. Okay, you get it. My neighbors, my, my family, my friends, the, the barista at, at the Starbucks that I go to. If I'm going to go in Africa in a couple of weeks, wherever I go, if I'm going to make disciples, I need to live out what I believe. But guess what? People are not just going to go, oh, that's great. Me too. I better have security in the gospel. How do I know the gospel is the truth? How do I know it? What do I know? And how do I know what I know? John wants us to be able to answer both those questions, gospel clarity and gospel security. So let me, just a little bit of time that I have, I want to invest in this. What do we know? Let me just make some suggestions from these first couple of verses. What we know, here's what I believe we know. We know the message is trustworthy. If, for some of you this morning, you've come with questions, you've come searching, you've come angry, you've come, I don't know if I believe this thing about God. Maybe as a believer, you're here like, man, I'm struggling in my faith. I'm not sure because life has really thrown me some curveballs and I'm walking through. And is that okay? Absolutely that's okay. So however you came in, whatever you, you, you walked into this moment, I want to point you to John's declaration in this op- these opening verses. We value, we, pl- we place high value on an eyewitness, don't we? We do. How many watch Judge Judy? Nobody? My wife's with the kids, or else she'd have both hands up, because that, that's how I'm exposed to Judge Judy, right? I don't know, and I'm sitting there doing other stuff, and, I, and I, I admit that I sometimes get sucked in, and like, you know, oh, I'm not supposed to be doing something else. And she says it over and over, don't tell me what someone else said. Don't tell me what someone else thinks. Don't tell me what someone else feels. I just want to know what you know. You, you have paperwork. You were there. Right? That's how our court systems should work. Only eyewitness. Only those who can testify to something that they know. That's what John is claiming here. And if you embrace the word of God, the Bible is God's word, then take it face value. This is the apostle John who wrote the gospel of John, who wrote in chapter 20, verse 31 of his gospel, these things are written so that you might know that Jesus is the son of God and that by knowing him, you would have life. That's why I wrote this gospel. The Holy Spirit led me to write this so you would know him. I'm telling you guys, reader, I was there. I'm not making this up. What do we know? We can know that the message is trustworthy. That's his point. We can have confidence in the reliability of God's word. Number two, what do we know? We know that Jesus came to give us life. He's so much more than a teacher. He's so much more than a, than a, than a revolutionary. He's so much more than a, a young rabbi of the first century. He came to give us life. John 5, 24, I assure you, these are all the words of Jesus. I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and will not come under the judgment but is passed from death to life. John 10, 10, a thief comes only to steal, to kill, to destroy. I've come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, speaking to Lazarus' um, sister Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. 
The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? John 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. See, he's come to give us life. He's come to give us life. This is the testimony, John, 1 John chapter 5. We'll come to it in a couple of weeks. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is found in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. John, the Apostle John writing, says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. What can I add to, and if you're going to make a list, and I hope many of you will, I've given you two already, haven't I? We know that the, the message is trustworthy. And secondly, we know that Jesus, his purpose for coming was to give us life. Apart from him, I cannot have life. Let me give you one more that I believe is in this text. We know life is defined by fellowship and joy. Life is defined by fellowship and joy. Now that doesn't make a lot of sense to us at face value. Even when I was writing it and I'm seeing it there and I'm studying and I'm writing this down, I go, God, this doesn't, I don't know. Because life is defined by health. Life is defined by, by, by freedom. Life is def defined by you know, happiness and, and things going my way and getting the job and getting a raise or you know, going, on, going camping at, at family camp and having a, you know, a great time in the dirt you know, like we did. You know, and, and seriously, it was a great time. But you know, I think I define life. So how's life treating you? And then you answer it, right? Well, you know, Works pretty good. Boss has been kind of nice, you know, and, you know, we're busy, you know, I got a job, you know, we, how's life treating you? And, you? and you answer, we answer almost without exception based on the circumstances that we're walking in. But here John makes this claim that, that life is really defined by fellowship and joy. Fellowship with who? God, but he also says with us, with others, Right? And I'm coming to understand that. So you ask me how life's treating you, my mind is, is more prone now to go, well, how's, how's my relationship with Becky? How'd it go this week? How did I treat her? How did we walk alongside of each other? My adult kids, where's my, how am I in my relationship with them? Whether they're walking with God or doing what God wants or not, I'm talking about me. How am I in my relationship with them or my grandkids or the guys that live on either side of me in my, my neighborhood, or my coworkers, the team here at the church. Because life is defined by fellowship. You see, before Christ, I'm out of fellowship with God. In fact, I'm an enemy to God. Isn't that what it says in the Bible? That I'm on the opposite side, I'm his enemy. But I become his friend, I become a part of his family through Jesus Christ, and now I have fellowship with God. What does that mean? Well, it's this word koinonia. And it, more than 60 times it's used in the New Testament. And it, it describes a partnership. Its, it's meaning is there, there's this, this partnership and a common cause. We might today say we're on the same page. Right? We're, we're of one mind. You with me? What do we say? Is that not what we say? There might be some other things, right? 
Because this is important to us. To be right with people, to be right with one another. And the Apostle John says, well, I'm going to tell you what eternal life is. I want to tell you what life is. He came to give us life, but it's about fellowship with God and with others. And it's about joy. Kara in the Greek. It's something that's not based on my situation. It's, it's, a, it's a, 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 I just blanked on the word, something that continues. It goes on and on. It's not, it's not shaped by circumstances. It continues, enduring, that's the word I wanted. It's an enduring sense of gladness based on who God is and what he's done. Happiness, which is fine, but happiness is that same sense, that same sensation based upon the situation that I'm in. So last night I'm sitting on my couch and I'm watching my phone app for the San Francisco Giants Anybody follow that last night? Just raise your hand if you're, you'll feel my pain. Did I have a sense of happiness last night? No, unless you're a Pirates fan, you did. But when they finally ended at 10 to 2, I good, I'm glad that game is over. You know? my, the situation I was in, I did not have an enduring sense of gladness. Because happiness is based on my circumstances, my moment, my situation. Joy is based on, and it's an enduring sense of gladness based on who I know God to be and what I'm confident that he has done. So no matter what I'm walking through, if I know who he is and I'm confident in his promises, I can have joy. You with me? Are we with John? He defines life by fellowship and joy. The gift of the gospel the gift of the cross, the gift that Jesus offers us. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that the Father raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. What does it mean to be saved? Well, theologically, right, we come into his family. We understand that we're redeemed, we're purchased by what Christ did and my sins are covered and I'm now part of his family and I will spend eternity with him. Praise God. What John wants to emphasize is what that means with those things is that now you're good with God. Now you're on the same page with God. The, the barrier between you, the, the sin, has been taken care of, and you can get up in the morning and you can say, hello, Father, I love you. Thank you for being present in this world. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for adopting me into your family. I wanna walk today with you. I'm broken, I'm sinful, I'm gonna mess up, I'm gonna do things wrong, but I know that you love me, and I know that I'm yours, and I know that we're, oh, I, I, I did this. We're going to see this next week. And so I want to confess my, my sin to you. I want to acknowledge, I want to agree with you that when I talked to Becky that way, that was rude. That was not loving. And I confess that to you. And I'm so thankful that you're faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. Amen. Because we're in fellowship. Do you know when you're in fellowship with somebody or out of fellowship with somebody? 99.9% .9 of the time we do. Do we not? You know when you wake up and you know, someone has said that, that three feet in the bed is the longest, longest distance in the universe, you know, when two backs are to each other. You tracking with me? Are we being real? And you get out and you go through your morning routine, I can know in, in three seconds whether or not Becky and I are good. I know it. John says life, the gift of the gospel, is you can be in fellowship with God and you can be in fellowship with one another in your relationships. And it's going to be defined by this joy 
John says, my joy, our joy is going to be fulfilled in, in writing this to you so that you know what you, could, what you believe and that you know how you believe it. I want you to answer those two questions. And if you answer those, can answer those two questions in your walk with God, my joy will be complete. This is the same guy that, that writes the, the, the greatest joy is that your, your children walk in the truth. He'll say that. He'll say that. That's the greatest joy in this life is that your children, those that you are spiritually, physically responsible for, your children, that they walk in following Jesus. Grandparents, would you agree? I would trade anything in my life for that. And I mean that sincerely. You can take away everything that I have. Take away my health. If that's what it's going to take for my children and grandchildren to walk in the truth of Jesus Christ. That's joy. He says life is defined by fellowship and by joy. The second question. i got to wrap this up. How do we know what we know? Let me just give you a couple of thoughts. Here's how we know what we know. Number one, Jesus brought the truth to us. If you trust Jesus, that he is who he claims to be, he came to us. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you'll know my Father. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him because you have seen me, Jesus. How do we know what we know? Jesus came to us. Here's the second principle I think Paul is, or John is is expressing. It's people show Jesus to people. It's, it's people. Now, I want to I define it or just, narrow, just a little bit. Certainly God works through the TV preacher, the radio, the book, the, the whatever. But by, by, by and large, most of the time, it comes through a relationship, one-on-one conversation. Somebody that you know, somebody that you have a relationship with, and they tell you, this is who Jesus is to me. This is what he's done for me. We see it at the very beginning when Jesus begins to call his disciples. Do you realize the first thing that the disciples do is they go and they get someone else and bring them to Jesus? Why? Because that's what disciples do. Disciples make disciples. Disciples go, wow, I know who he is. I want, I, come here, I, friend, brother, wife, family, whatever, coworker. I want you to know what I know. I want you to have fellowship with God and I want you to have joy because he's come to give us life and I have that and I want you to know it too. You tracking with me? How do we know what we know? Because it, God has chosen, and, and it seems like a, a foolish decision sometimes, the way God has chosen to spread the truth, but it's not because God chose it. He chooses people to show other people who Jesus is. Right? Acts 1.8, Mark 16, Matthew 28. In fact, here at this church, we talked about it already. Our mission is to raise up passionate followers of Jesus who live by faith, are known by hope, known by love, and are a voice of hope. And behind me are these four words that we take from Matthew 28. That it's my calling on my life that God's called me to engage other people to know Jesus. Do we engage other people to know crossroads? No. Now you invite them. Invite your friends. Come here. This is just, we're just one of many bodies, Right? but engage people to know who? Jesus. That's where life comes from. We empower people to love him. We communicate, we share with them, we live in our relationship with them what it means to be a child of God, a disciple maker, a temple of the Holy Spirit. We baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit because that's our identity in Jesus. 
And we empower people to know that so they would love him. We equip people to obey him. We speak truth into one another's lives. And say God's expectation is that we obey these principles. We build our lives on them. Not to be right with God, not to be better than others, but to be in obedience to Jesus. Why do I care about being, living my life in obedience to Jesus? I'll tell you why I care. Not, not, I'm not telling you that I do it all the time. Right, you listening? I'm not always obedient, but I'll tell you why I want to be obedient, because I love him. Because I love him. I want fellowship with God and with you, and I want fellowship with the people in my life, and I want to walk and live in joy. And that's the third point, is that we experience fellowship and joy. How do I know what I, what I know? How do I know this is true? Well, Jesus came and gave it to me. My experience is that I'm walking with other people, and people share with one another who Jesus is. And don't we share with one another how Jesus is working in our life, and how he's exhorting us and encouraging us? Shouldn't we? The one another's? Shouldn't we be in a small group? Shouldn't we be in each other's homes? And this is how, pray for me. And this is how God's working in me. And I'm so excited. And I'm so thankful. And, I, and, and I'm needy. And, and all, all of it. It's meant to happen in relationship between people. And the third way that we, this is how I know what I know, is because when I live what I say I know, I'm in fellowship with God. I'm in fellowship with you. And I experience joy. The moment I step out of God's will, guess what happens to b- both of those things? Do you know? Yeah. The moment I'm, I'm, I'm unloving to my wife, what happens to our fellowship? The moment that I sin and I'm not confessing it to him, I'm, I'm, what happens to my fellowship with God? What happens to my joy? Where's the last place we want, want to be on Sunday morning at 10.30 when we're out of fellowship with God and we're not experiencing joy? Where's the last place we want to be? Right here where you're sitting, yeah. Me too. How do I know what I know to be true? Because when I live it, I experience fellowship with God, with you, and there's joy. Even in the midst of unbelievably challenging moments, I'm filled with joy. This is John's heart for this letter. He wants us to know what we believe, he wants us to have gospel clarity, and he wants us to have gospel security. You know what you believe, and you know why you believe it. You know how you believe it. The moment you step out, of, well, maybe not even before, maybe when we dismiss in a little bit, and where you're sitting, you may be, that may be challenged. It's certainly gonna be challenged when you walk out of these doors, when we go into this world. You with me? Are we with together with John? He wants us to know what we know is true, and he wants us to know how we know it. Gospel clarity and gospel security. I'm going to invite our our worship team to come because we're going to respond. And as they're coming, if you'll allow me to pray, just ignore the footsteps that you hear as they're walking up the the stage. But join me, seriously, as they they come up and prepare to lead us in this time. I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer. Father, we need you. I'm so thankful for the presence of your Holy Spirit that is here working, speaking to each of us. My voice is insignificant. The voice of the Holy Spirit is everything. And so God, I pray that whatever our heart's condition is, however we came in this morning, whatever we're carrying, whatever is bothering us, frustrating us, angering us, whatever it is that, that, is, that is in our hearts and in our thoughts, God, would you 
as you are so good at doing, just gently, compassionate, graciously speak to us in the moment that we're in, the need that we have. Give us even the, the, the faith, stir in us the, the willingness to listen to you, to hear your voice. God, I know that you, you speak through your spirit, you speak through your word, and you've brought us together in this moment, and I thank you for that. I thank you for every soul that is here in this building. I think of the souls that are in the vehicles driving to Hume Lake. I'm thankful for every one of them. I pray you would speak to them over the course of this week. But right here, right now, I ask that you speak to us in this moment. And as we sing and as we come to the table and as we pray, these different external expressions, God, would you captivate our hearts with how good you are, how faithful you are. We can have, we can have confidence. We can have clarity and confidence, clarity and security in who you are and the life that you're offering us. And so God, help us now in this moment. Help us to lay aside the distractions. We might be tired or hungry or thinking of something else. God, help us just to bring you our hearts and our lives now as we worship you. Captivate us with your grace, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.